Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary, Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, Unveiled Mystery. All right, well, if you've been with us the last two weeks, you know that we've been studying the trumpet judgments of God that will be unleashed upon the earth during the last seven years of history as we know it. And so what uh, are the trumpet judgments that are coming later in, in our future? The first trumpet judgment is hail and fire. And I want to emphasize again, literal hail and literal raging infernos across the world. Just like one of the plagues that God sent to Egypt, 1500 B.C., uh, was literal. So this will happen during the tribulation period. And the result of this hail, big chunks of hail and this, these raging infernos, is that one-third of the earth's vegetation will be burned up. Then the second angel sounds the second trumpet. And that brings or unleashes an asteroid that's been on a collision course with the earth. It's going to go through the earth's atmosphere, not burn up, and it's going to make impact on one of the oceans of our planet. The result, one-third of the sea life and ships will be destroyed. Then the third angel sounds the third trumpet. John says, I see, quote, a blazing torch. It's kind of interesting. This week, um, I was watching the news, and I was watching how America is getting prepared. God forbid that North Korea ever decides to do something stupid and hit the button but we're ready with a missile defense plan, and I'm watching all this on the news, and I see a blazing torch going up. And so I think, my opinion, is that John in AD 95 is doing his best to describe in the vision that he saw what's gonna be nuclear warfare during the tribulation period. Radioactive material causes a third of the fresh water to become polluted. Then the fourth angel sounds the fourth trumpet, Partial darkness, a third of the day and a third of the night is darkened. That's followed by the fifth trumpet. We saw this last week. What a heavy message that I had to share with you guys last week. But the abyss, the bottomless pit opened up and the result is demonic beings are loose to cross mankind and they will torment mankind for five long months. Ladies and gentlemen, the tribulation period is a weird, chaotic um, uh, uh, mayhem. Uh, it's going to be a, a, a crazy time in the history of the world. And then the sixth trumpet, four fallen angels loosed from the area of the Euphrates, from their spiritual prisons. They motivate 200 million troops, most likely from many different armies, many different nations, possibly World War III. And the result is a third of humanity is killed. Now, some of you may be new to Calvary, new to the Bible, and you're wondering right now, why? Why in the world would a loving and gracious God unleash judgments like this upon the earth? Here's your answer. To evict off of the earth those who refuse to repent. As I've told you before, if you were a landlord and you rented your house to somebody and that person trashed your house, punched holes in the wall, broke things, broke windows, let the yard go to pot, and never paid rent, would your response be, oh, it's okay. You can disobey my rules, you can damage my property, and you can live there as long as you want. 
I don't think that would be your response. No, you'd probably say to this person, I've talked to you over and over and over again. I've tried to be as gracious as I know how to be, but you just won't listen. And so now it's time to go. And you change the locks and you evict the person. Well, ladies and gentlemen, God has been reaching out to mankind over and over and over again. He's given us the witness of creation without. He's given all men, saved and lost, the witness of conscience within. He's given us the general, re general revelation of the creation, the specific revelation of his word. He's given us the teachings of the prophets in the Old Testament and the teachings of the apostles in the New Testament. More than all of that, a million times more than all of that, the Father gave his one and only Son, God eternal, who came into the material universe, entered time and space through a virgin's womb, wrapped himself in humanity, went to a cross, and half naked took your judgment and my judgment that we should have received. He took it upon himself and his body on the tree, and he died. And as, as I said earlier, his death was sufficient to pay for all, please say all, all, all our sins, past, present, future. And he rose again to prove that what he did on the cross is sufficient. God has done so much. The landlord has done so much. And during the tribulation period, he's still going to reach out. He's going to send 144,000 Jewish evangelists across the globe to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I believe the church is gone by that point. Not only that, he's going to send, we're going to see this in Revelation 11, two witnesses that have the power, uh, like, like Elijah back in the Old Testament. Many people believe one of the witnesses is Elijah. We'll talk about that when we get to, to Revelation 11. But not just 144,000 evangelists, but the two witnesses anointed, sharing the truth of God's word to a fallen world. Not only that. But God's actually going to send an angel that's going to circle the globe that somehow humanity's going to be able to see this angel and this angel's going to preach the gospel. Right? Why? Because God's not willing that any should perish. Right? And so this is what God, the landlord, is reaching out over and over and over again, but the tenants continue in their destructive ways. And so now the eviction process has begun. As we saw in the last two verses that we ended on last week, just look at verse 21. Even after the six trumpet judgments, this is shocking to me. But in verse 21 of chapter 9, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries. The word there is pharmakia, from where we get our English word pharmacy, talking about illegal drug use, which, by the way, is rampant in poor St. Lucie. Every neighborhood, drugs everywhere, ruining people's lives. They refuse to repent of their illegal drug use and of their sexual immorality. The Greek word is pornea, from where we get the word pornography, or their thefts. And so the eviction process has begun. It's begun quite a while in our study of Revelation. But today, we get a little break from the judgments in chapter 10. And so in between the sixth and seventh trumpet, there's another pause, just like there was a pause between the sixth and seventh seal. And during this pause, chapter 10, 
John sees a beautiful angel. Check it out in chapter 10, verse 1. And then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. And so here John sees yet another angel. This angel is distinct from the seven angels that are going to sound the seven trumpets during the tribulation period. John says that this beautiful, mighty angel, as he sees this angel coming down from heaven, this angel's wrapped in a cloud, and he's got a rainbow over his head. And so the cloud, we believe, um, talks about how there's more judgments to come because many times in the scriptures, the word cloud is indicative of judgment. And so this angel's coming down. He's wrapped in a cloud. That means more judgments to come. And not only that, the good news is he's got a rainbow over his head. I believe that's symbolic of the fact that after all the judgments, there's a promise of peace. There's a promise of a utopian period that's coming upon this earth after all these judgments. And so cloud and rainbow. And so here we see yet another angel sighting in the book of Revelation. Happens a lot, by the way. Over, about, about 60 times in Revelation, we see these angels that are appearing. And so let's talk about angels for a little while. Concerning the role of angels, Jesus said this in Matthew 18. He said, see, he's talking to adults here. See that you despise not one of these, what? Little ones, let's talk about the children. See that you despise not one of these little ones. Why, Jesus? He says, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. And so, how many of you guys understand that Jesus loves the little children? Right? All the children of the world. Red, brown, yellow, black, and white, they are all precious in his sight. Jesus loves the children of the world. Do you guys actually believe that Jesus loves every kid on the planet? Okay? And so the Lord warns adults, hey, don't ever despise one of these little kids. Don't you ever hurt one of these little kids. Discipline? Yes. Hurt? No. And by the way, we as parents are responsible before God to discipline our kids. Ladies and gentlemen, we're the parents, they're the kids. This is why I don't understand when I hear that sometimes parents are taking their little kids to shine children's ministry, which is for infants through fifth grade next door. And sometimes the kids pitch a fit, you know, I don't wanna go, whatever. And the parents finally like, okay, you can come, and they bring their kid into the adult Bible study. And I question, who's the parent and who's the kid? Why is the parent, why is the kid leading the parent? Right? So here's what's got to happen. You got to say, no, honey, you're going. And guess what? Five minutes after they've been crying, their tears are gone. They're jumping up and down. They're dancing. They're smiling because they're learning about Jesus on their level through a group of dedicated people that have literally given their lives to pour into your kids. By the way, you should thank, say thank you to our children's ministry workers. And so Jesus said, don't ever despise or hurt. This is why child abuse is a crime. It ought to be a crime. Don't you ever 
despise or hurt one of these little kids. Why? Because they have an angel that represents them standing before God, beholding the face of my Father in heaven. This is where we get the concept of guardian angels. And by the way, it's not just kids that guardian angels watch over. The author of Hebrews says this, are they angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? In other words, it's not just kids that angels are supposed to be serving and protecting. It's everybody and anybody who's God knows will inherit salvation. And by the way, don't you, don't you guys know that God knows who's going to inherit salvation and who's not going to inherit salvation? I mean, just think about this for a second. Here we are. Uh, we're on a timeline. Maybe it's from this spot to this spot, from Genesis to Revelation. And we're on this timeline, but we're, right, we're contingent. We are temporal. God is eternal and he's infinite. He, he exists outside the timeline. He can see the past from the beginning. And not only that, he's not just eternal, he's omniscient. And so he knows exactly who will inherit, inherit salvation and who won't. And the beautiful thing is God loves us so much that he'll dispatch angels to serve and protect those who will inherit salvation no matter what your age is. Angels will serve you, they'll protect you. But let me just say this, the way some of you live, the risky way some of you live, jumping off bridges on bungee cords, going crazy at the flying panda, <laughs> been there yet? parachuting out of planes, doing backflips off of high dives. Do you think maybe you should give your guardian angel a break every once in a while? <laughs> right, so there you are this summer, you're at the pool, you're on the high dive, you're bouncing up and down, and your angel's saying, just feet first, just feet first. Everything will be okay. But you decide to do you know, something like this, and the angel's calling in reinforcements, right? <laughs> if we could see what's going on in the spiritual realm, I think it would blow our minds. Hey, aren't you glad that God loves you so much he's given you a guardian angel to serve you and protect you? I am, I really am. And you'll get to meet that guardian angel someday and you'll get to thank that guardian. Don't pray to him now, that's heresy, okay? Don't talk to angels, Whew. But you'll get to see that angel someday. Pray to Jesus only, through Jesus to the Father, that's it. Not to saints, not to angels, but someday you'll see that angel and you'll be able to thank that angel face to face for serving you and protecting you as they're there in the immaterial realm. By the way, before we continue, let me just say, not only are we thankful for those in the immaterial realm who serve and protect us, we are also thankful for those in the material realm who serve and protect us, meaning our police officers. We ought to put our hands together right now and thank our men and women in uniform who put their lives on the line. And one of the things that I'm burdened for is that we are raising a culture of kids that disrespect and dishonor our police officers, and it's not right. These guys, these women are putting their lives on the line, and there's no way we could ever pay them enough to put their lives on the line to serve us and protect us. Man, you call 911 in America, and they are there. 
And what are we doing dishonoring them and disrespecting them? Just because there's a few bad apples, ladies and gentlemen, 99% of our police officers ought to be honored and loved, and you should go to them today as you're leaving and thank them and let them know you're praying for them. Let them know that. They need to hear that. That's important. So important. Now, speaking of angels, on a, on a serious note, um, no, I was listening to Norman Geisler, who's uh, just a premier apologist, solid guy. He said his best friend, uh, four, four or five years ago, went golfing. And he took a little girl with him. I think it was his granddaughter. So his best friend took his granddaughter golfing with him. He kept the little girl in the cart just so she could have fun going around the golf cor course. At some point, a speeding car slammed into their golf cart. Norman Geisler's best friend went head first through the windshield. The little girl was knocked to the side. His injuries were extensive. Top of his skull was ripped off, lots of injuries with his leg. The little girl was unharmed. They asked her later, what happened from her perspective? She said, I was sitting in the golf cart and all of a sudden an angel gave me a big hug. Guardian angels sent to protect and to serve those who will inherit salvation. And we should be thankful for them. Now the word angel means messenger. And this angel here in chapter 10 is gonna have a really important message for us later on, but let's tackle verse two first. It says in verse two that this angel descending from heaven with the rainbow and the cloud and the shining face and the legs like fire that he had a little scroll open, that's important, open, in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And so as John's apocalyptic visions continued, he noticed that this angel, this mighty angel, has this little opened scroll in his hand. And so what I did yesterday is I went to um, blue letter Bible, I typed in the word angel and I found, I'm sorry, I typed in the word scroll to find out how often is the word scroll used in the book of Revelation. And besides John's vision of one of the seals where the heaven is rolling black like a scroll, besides that, the only thing I could find was the seven sealed scroll back in Revelation chapter six. Now, now please listen. Jesus has already opened that scroll. And so my opinion, can't be too dogmatic on this, but my opinion is that John sees this mighty angel coming from heaven, where he was with the Father and the Son, coming down from heaven, and he's got an opened scroll in his hand. We, we already determined that the seven-sealed scroll is the title deed of the earth. And so he's got the title deed of the earth in his hand as he's coming down and he puts his left foot on the land and his right foot on the sea. What does that mean? If you're taking notes, the position of this angel shows that how much of the earth? The entire earth belongs to the Lord. And he is about to take it back from Satan, the usurper. See, this is the good news of Revelation. I know there's a lot of heavy passages. I know there's a lot of bad news. That's the good news, is that evil will not continue on indefinitely. 
Now, if you're brand new to the Bible, you gotta understand that yes, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, but after Adam and Eve sinned and the fall occurred, the usurper, Satan, came in, listen to this, to take temporary control. That's why he's called the prince of the power of the air. That's why, as I've said before in Matthew chapter four, when Satan takes Jesus up on the high mountain, he shows him all the kingdoms of the world, Satan says to Jesus, I'll give you all these kingdoms if you'll bow down and worship me. And you remember what Jesus said? Get away from me, Satan. That's what some of you guys need to say this week when you're tempted. Get away, Satan, right? Because James 4, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Jesus said, away from me, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Now, Jesus did not say, get away from me, Satan. You don't own all these kingdoms. You know why Jesus didn't say that? Some of you guys want to mark this verse down. 1 John 5, 19 says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Did you hear that? This is just one of thousands of principles to help you develop a biblical worldview. The whole world right now lies in the power of the evil one, the usurper, Satan. Why do you think last night before you went to bed when you checked your iPhone or put on the news, you saw what happened in London? Again, three guys, guys, whatever it was, jumping out of the back of a van with long knives and slashing people. That's straight from the pit of hell. That's not from God. That's from hell. Another guy driving a van, mowing people down on London Bridge. The whole world right now lies under the power of the wicked one. But the good news is this angel is coming down with the title deed of the earth. He's going to put his left foot on the land, the right foot on the sea, and he's going to give notice to everybody that the earth is the Lord's and Jesus is coming back to take back what is rightfully his from the usurper, the, en the enemy. How many of you guys are glad that evil's not gonna continue indefinitely? I'm so happy about that. There'll be a time in the future, kingdom come, when you will not have to worry about seeing what you saw again last night because the Lord's coming back. And so this is gonna be really good news what this angel has to say for the believers who are still alive during the tribulation period because they're gonna know, hey, even though Satan has deceived the nations, even though the Antichrist has declared, I am God, halfway through the tribulation, even though millions of people have taken the mark of the beast, even though mankind refuses to repent, the good news is the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet and very soon, Evils will be destroyed. Now look at verse three. So this angel descends from heaven, puts his feet down, and in verse three, he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. I was hoping right now during the storm we'd hear some thunder, but <laughs> I guess not. Seven thunders sounded. And when the seven, this is interesting, when the seven thunders had sounded, 
I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up, conceal what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And so within the seven thunderclaps that John heard, there was some kind of message. So John did what he's been doing since chapter one. He pulled out a pen to write down yet another apocalyptic vision, another message. And when he pulled out his pen, he heard a voice, hey, don't write it. So John put his pen away. Now, if he would have written it, there probably would, have be, would be 23 chapters in Revelation instead of 22. There would not just be the seven seal judgments and seven trumpet judgments and seven bowl judgments. There would be some kind of message from the seven thunderclaps. But God said, for whatever reason, no, don't write it. Now, the book of Revelation, the word revelation means to reveal. This is the only message in the entire book that has been concealed. Why? Because God doesn't want us to know. So, so, so here's the important thing. Don't try to guess. It would be foolish to guess. Don't send me emails this afternoon. I know what the seven messages are. It doesn't, you know, we'll find out when the Lord comes back. And I, I think when the Lord comes back, we're going to be so happy to see him. This is going to be the furthest, furthest thing from our minds. But look at verse 3 now. I'm sorry, verse 5. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. Everybody look at me. Okay, so we don't know if the scroll, I, I understand it wasn't a leather-bound book, it was a scroll, right? But we don't know if the scroll was in his right hand um, or in his left hand. But if it was in his right hand, okay, picture it, he's coming down, rainbow over his head, cloud, puts his left foot on the land, right foot on the sea, and if it's in his right hand, he raises... The scroll up to God. And he swears an oath to God. He swears to the one, as it says now in verse 5 and 6, verse 6, he swears by him who lives forever and ever. Who, what's the word? Created. Ladies and gentlemen, we are not evolved from apes. You see that? I don't care what your professor in college said, we are not evolved from apes. We're created by a creator. You see, this is what, what, what really makes me upset. The whole idea of naturalistic evolution, talk about something from the pit of hell, that's from the pit of hell naturalistic evolution, that there's no God and the universe has always existed? There is a mind behind the material. Nothing cannot create nothing. Something in the beginning had to create some, something. Nothing can't come from nothing. If nothing ever existed, nothing would still exist. There's a something. His name is God. He's the creator. And whether you believe in an old earth or a new earth, literal 24-hour days or non-literal 24-hour days, that, to me, that's not the main dispute. The enemy are those, not those people, but the ideas that they, that, they, that they give. It's the idea of naturalistic evolution, that there's no God. Back when Darwin wrote his book, you could not look into a DNA molecule. 
But now you look into one molecule, and what, what do we find? Libraries filled with information. What does that mean? There's a design. What does that mean? Behind every design, there's a designer. God is the creator. He's the first cause. We're the effect. I told somebody in between services that when my wife and I were dating, uh, I went to the beach, and her and I were there, and I, I took my hand, and I made a big heart. Probably every guy in this room has done this. Made a big heart on the sand. I love you. There's a mind that did that on the material. The material, the sand, could never do that on its own. There's a mind behind the material universe. No matter what your intelligent professor said in college, there is a design and there is a designer and this angel swears by the one who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, and that, that, that there would be no more delay, verse seven, and that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, please underline this, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. Just, this is important here, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. All right, what is the mystery of God that would be fulfilled in the days of the seventh trumpet? What is that mystery? It's really simple. All you gotta do is find out what happens when the seventh trumpet is blown. So what is the mystery of God that'll happen during the days of the seventh trumpet? Turn right one page to chapter 11, verse 15, to discover what the mystery is. Right now, we are, un we are unveiling the mystery, and you're gonna find it's not even a mystery. Verse 15, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We should all say amen. So what is the mystery? The mystery is the proclamation that the kingdom of this world will soon become the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, in the days of the seventh trumpet, because the seventh trumpet, we'll see, contains the seven bowl judgments, and for all that to be unleashed will not take an instant, but days. But it's coming quick. Jesus is coming. He will establish his literal kingdom on this planet. Now, this may be a mystery to unbelievers. It should not be a mystery to us. Why? Look back at chapter 10, verse 7, at the very end of verse 7. We just gotta think logically here. Okay, this may be a mystery to unbelievers, it should not be a mystery to us, why? Okay, look at the end of verse seven. The mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he, what? Announced, God already announced the, the mystery, to his servants, the who? The prophets. And so as believers who study God's word, I hope you do, as believers who read both the Old Testament and the New Testament, I hope you do, it's not a mystery that Messiah is coming back and that'll be followed by a utopian period. Why? God's already announced it through the prophets over centuries of time. We call it the Old Testament. 
He's already announced this through Isaiah. Guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Joel and Amos and Obadiah. He's already announced it in the New Testament through guys like Peter and Paul and John. And so ladies and gentlemen, whether you're talking about the Old Testament prophets or the New Testament apostles, the mystery is no mystery to believers if you're in the word of God. Paige Patterson, one of my commentators that I read during the week, put it this way. Now all that God has promised through the prophets and the apostles will not be delayed any longer, but will come to pass in rapid sequence following the sounding of the trumpet of the seventh angel. So if you are reading the Bible, the fact that Jesus is coming, he's gonna set up a kingdom literally on the earth, is not a mystery. The prophets, the apostles told us already. It's been announced. But if you're an unbeliever and you're not in the word and you're ignoring the Bible, of course it's a mystery. If you don't believe me, believer, Go this week to an unbeliever, maybe a friend at work or a neighbor across the street, and here's, here's your homework assignment. Tell them, did you know that in the last seven years of history as we know it, there's going to be seven sealed judgments, seven trumpet judgments, and seven bold judgments, horrific judgments unleashed upon the world, catastrophe after catastrophe, and then Jesus Christ literally is going to come on clouds to Jerusalem, he's gonna put his feet down on the Mount of Olives, he's gonna destroy his enemies, and he's gonna set up a kingdom and rule and reign for a thousand years from Israel. You say that, and then come back next Sunday and tell me the expression on that person's face. <laughs> they have no clue. It's a mystery to them, but how many of you think, are thankful that we got the word of God? Amen. It's not a mystery to us. We don't have to be in the dark. This is why it's important to teach books like Revelation, because it's been revealed. What are churches doing ignoring this book? And so look at verses eight and nine. We're almost done here. And then the voice that I heard from the heavens spoke to me again, saying, go and take the scroll that is opened in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And so I went, verse nine, to the angel, and I told him to give me the little scroll I can see John standing up in his own vision. That's kind of cool. Looking up at this big angel. Sir, could I have that scroll in your hand? And he said to me, take it and eat it. That's what we need to do with the Bible because it's soul food. Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter. Some of you are thinking, why should I read the Bible? It'll make your stomach bitter, but good news, in your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. All right, so why would the scroll taste sweet in John's mouth, but make his stomach bitter? Here it is. Because what's so sweet is that Christ's kingdom's coming to earth. What you see, saw happen last night will not continue indefinitely. But what is so bitter is that there are terrible, terrible judgments that will precede the Lord's coming and millions and millions of people will needlessly die because they just won't repent. And so I'm excited about the fact that Jesus is coming back. The older I get, the more I get into the word. I just think about the Garden of Eden 
what Adam lost, Jesus gives back. And we're not talking about a new heavens and new earth. That's gonna be really amazing, but just the thousand year reign of Christ and the geological changes and how we're getting back the Garden of Eden and the Lord is reigning. And Habakkuk 2.14, please look at me. The earth, imagine the earth, in that day will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Right now, what, what covers the world right now like the waters cover the sea? Perversion, terrorism, pornography, hatred, bigotry. That's our fallen world. But in the day that Jesus comes back, Habakkuk 2.14, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's so sweet. Now look at verse 10 and 11, last two verses. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. Right, times for some pepto-bismol or whatever. <laughs> and I was told in verse 11, you must again prophesy, John. You gotta preach about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. And that's why we have verse, chapters 11 through 22. And as you, we go through those chapters, we're gonna see Bitter passages where God judges, we're gonna see in 20, 21, and 22, sweet passages where the Lord comes back. But let me end, end in this way, and I want to encourage you guys to stay, stay with me to the end because I'm, I'm sharing vision with you right now, okay? Not just John's prophecies, but that whole Bible is filled with bitter passages and sweet passages. The whole Bible is filled with passages that are pleasant to read and teach and passages that are unpleasant to read and to teach. But what you got to understand that the pastor of the church has got to be faithful to teach the whole counsel of God. All of it. Okay, it would be so easy for me every week to skip around and find those really sweet passages and pull it out and teach a message that makes everybody feel good every single Sunday, sweet, sweet, sweet. And that may attract a larger crowd, but if I did that, I would be unfaithful to my call. Spurgeon put it this way. Many people, when they hear a sermon, say, how did you enjoy it? If you always enjoy sermons, the minister is not a good steward. He's not acting wisely who deals out nothing but sweets. God's people need that the word should at times be medicine to them. And we don't enjoy medicine. And so as the prayer partners come forward, let me share with you my commitment to you as your pastor. As long as I have breath in my lungs, and I, I fully plan on living here in Port St. Lucie the rest of my life and being your pastor as long as God will let me do that. But as we do that, here's, what, here's my commitment to you. As we teach through books of the Bible, and I, I will prayerfully pick books, especially books that have to do with the new covenant, because that's where we are. 
and we'll refer back to the Old Covenant for illustrative purposes, but as we teach through the Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, when we get to the sweets, the candy, the almond joy, the Butterfinger, the Mounds, the Hershey's, I'll teach that. But when we get to the vegetables, when we get to Brussels sprouts and spinach, I'll teach those too. Here's why. Because if all you eat is candy, you're gonna be weak and unhealthy. But if you eat your vegetables, you can be spiritually healthy and strong. Does that make sense to you guys? One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm New Here, then Knowing Christ.